Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Stop right there. Not something we do a lot of, shouting in God's presence. But there's a sentiment about it, right? This, as I read this, I wanted to say this before. There's an energy, there's a passion in the hearts of the people of God that is a long way from dozing off because the preacher's going on a little too long. This is a time to engage the living God. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Let's go on. Worship the Lord. It's a verb. Worship with gladness. Come before him, singing with joy. There it is again. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. You get the sense of what these people are engaging as they engage God in worship. There is a passion, there is an energy, there is a vitality and a dynamic that they are being called to as they enter into the presence of God. And I want to tell you this, and it's key to, I think, us understanding this psalm. This is what we are called to, joy, gladness, thanksgiving, and praise. It's what we are called to do as we approach God in worship. And I want, to, I want you to focus on this for a minute. It's as we are approaching God, we are to be people who are shouting and singing for joy and for, praising him with gladness and giving him thanks and, uh, and, and praising him from our lips. You know, come into his presence with, enter his gates with. It's telling us how we are to be when we are walking in those doors on a Sunday morning. And I want to tell you, that's different. It's different than a lot of other teaching about worship in Scripture. Here's the point. Worship is great. It is effective. It pleases God when we engage. But it is when we have so encountered the reality of God in our lives before we get here that something rises up within us that just oozes out of us in joy and in gladness and in thanksgiving and in praise. It's something that we encounter in our experience, our ver very personal experience of the Lord through the week, so that we, we come to know God as God really is, so that when we arrive here, we arrive as people who are amazed with the reality of God. And we are, we are ready, we are eager. It's like we are primed to shout for joy. <coughs> Excuse me. We are already glad and ready to worship him. We come before him and enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Tell me, how did you come this morning to worship God? I would have loved to have done this during the year when we have a nine o'clock crowd. Because <laughs> I admire those people, but I, I get it. I'm like, I'm a little more sleepy at nine o'clock somehow, you know. But I, I ask you the question, have we arrived so that we can enter his gates with a deep gratitude for what he has done? With praise just oozing out of us? I want to tell you how we arrived here this morning will likely determine our experience of worship this week, this Sunday morning, this week. How do you get yourself to that place? How do you get to the point where you actually, you know, are, are, are eager and ready and dynamically engaged with God so as to be able to worship him in a way this psalm calls us to? Well, we're going to go to verse 5 and leave verse 5 there. The key word I want to suggest to you in, in this verse is the first word. For, for the Lord is, it describes three things that the Lord is. You know, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise for, because the Lord is. And we're going to start talking about God at this point. 
And what does it say? For the Lord, number one, for the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. What is goodness? You know, ask most people about the goodness of God, and they'll likely tell you about something good that God has done for them. If I were to ask you right now, you know, and I'm not going to, but if I were to say, tell me about the goodness of God, you'd say something like, well, God sent Jesus to this world. God would not abandon us as a rebellious people. He would not leave us in, in our sin and in our brokenness and in the mess we'd created of this world. He wouldn't do it, so he came in his son to save us. That's goodness, right? Some might say, you know, well, Jesus dying on the cross is good. It shows us the goodness of God. Well, he hung on the cross and he died for us so that we could have our sin forgiven, so that we can be reconciled by, to God simply by believing in him and his action on the cross and opening our hearts to him by faith. That's, that's the goodness of God. Some might say, well, you know, every time I sin, I go to God. And because of what the Bible says, I'm convinced that God will forgive me every single time. Every single time. That's, that's goodness, isn't it? That's an amazing thing that God does for me. And you could go on and on and on talking about the goodness of God based on what God has done. But I want to tell you, my friends, that's not the goodness of God. That's the expression of the goodness of God. That's, that's what God has done because he is good. These things are examples of, of, of goodness that flow from the heart of God. No, goodness refers to the character of God. In the heart of God is goodness and nothing else. You know, sometimes we define goodness by thinking of its opposite. The opposite of good is bad. There's nothing bad in God. Maybe you could say the opposite of good is evil. And there's nothing evil in the Lord. It is just not there. Think about this. In the heart of God, every motivation is good. You know, it is never selfish. It is never vindictive. There's no such thing in the being of the Lord. There's a goodness that just dwells there. Every desire of God is good. His desire is to bless and to care for and to provide for his people and to love in, in, in a manner that we have discussed over this last month or so. You know? It is never to harm people. The goodness of God speaks to excellence of his character. It speaks to an absence of flaw or of defect, defect in the being of God. This is who the Lord is. And because God is good in those ways, you know what he did? He sent Jesus to this world because he wouldn't leave us alone. He was too good to do that. He could have said, oh, I'll leave those folks. They, they, they've blown it. They deserve what they're getting. But no, God is good. And he sent Christ to come. And then Jesus died on the cross. Why? Because of the goodness of God. You know, there's this thing in this heart. He said, we've got to fix this for people. We've got to find a way that they might be reconciled to, God said to myself, you know, we've got to find a way that they would be forgiven their sins so that they won't spend eternity in hell, that they'll spend it in heaven with me. The goodness of God expressed itself that way. The goodness of God activates itself in the forgiveness that, that he gives to us every single time we ask. It's an amazing thing. And so on and so forth. God just is good, and his goodness then exemplifies itself in all of these various actions. And I want to ask you this morning, my friends, do you know the goodness of God? Do you know it to the point, and have you discovered it, if you would, out there? Have you lived it out there? Have you experienced it out there so that, and come to terms with it in such depth that, and, and personal experience that when you come here, there is something that rises up in you called worship, and it is characterized by joy and gladness and deep gratitude and praise. You get to know God as a God of goodness. You'll come here ready to praise him because you will have come to know that he is an awesome God, an incredible God. 
A lot of people uh, suffer and, and they say something like this. <clears throat> How can a God of goodness allow this to happen to me? Um, a lot of people will observe the world and they'll look at war or starvation at various places in the world and they'll say, how can a God who is good actually allow that to happen? You heard that before? You know where we as the people of Jesus often learn the goodness of God? It is in and through our suffering. And as we persist, as we endure, as we are led through that dark valley that Psalm 23 speaks of, the valley of the shadow of death, there we discover that every plan and every purpose of God is, as Romans 12 said, good, perfect, and pleasing. It just is. And sometimes in the midst of suffering, it's hard for us to, to understand and it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. But after the fact, when we look back and we go, oh yeah, God had it figured out. God is good. Do you know that God is good? Do you really know it? Another place we discover God's goodness, we learn it, we, we profoundly experience it, is in the season of blessing. And I get that's a little ironic. We discover God's goodness in suffering and we discover God's goodness in blessing. Yeah, we do. Because wherever we encounter God, we discover the same thing. And what we discover of God is who he is and what he is, at least in part, is goodness. You know, we had a, we had a little uh, staff party for John and Ange this week, and I see they both left. You can tell them about this later if, if you want. So we said, we had, you know, a wonderfully cooked barbecue by myself. <coughs> no big deal. With the help of Mark Yonchar. Um, but we sat around after dinner, and we all just uh, shared our hearts to John and Ange. Shared what we appreciate about them. Really good, really good. And afterwards, John and Ange responded just a little bit. Um, but what John said, one of the things he said was this. So many times over this last six years, I've sat in my office and, and I've said to myself, I just love my job. You know, when you find yourself in a place like that where you're saying, you know, I just love my job or whatever. You know, you know in those moments that God is good, that you're blessed with something wonderful. You know, couples who you know, fall in love and they stand before a pastor and before family and friends on a wedding day ready to make their vows to one another, and then they do, and they're pronounced husband and wife in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they walk from here to reception, and they enjoy, you know, they, they can stand back in that moment, and they go, man, I am blessed, and I know that God is good, right? Sometimes you have a little child. Where's Christine? There she is. Haven't seen her being away. Congratulations. And you hold that little one in your arms and you look in their eyes and you cuddle them. And you know God is good because God in his goodness has blessed your life. Do you get this? In our suffering, we discover that God is good and in, in our blessing, we discover that God is good. And I think actually brings us to a point that <clears throat> a couple can be married 40, 50, 60 plus years and one of them passes away and the other stands at a graveside. And in their sorrow and in their grief, they can say, you know, God is good. Because I've been blessed with these years. And I know my loved one, my blessed, precious loved one is now with God in heaven. And I know someday I'm going to go there too and we'll be together again. And we will be with Christ. 
You see how we can come to that place where we learn and we experience in profound ways the reality that God is good. I want to ask you this morning, my friends, has it impacted your life yet? Do you know it? The more you know God's goodness, the more you will come here primed and ready to worship. The more you will come here and you will engage in praise that will flow from the core of your being into the ears and into the mind and into the heart of God and you will listen to his word and you'll be ready to obey and you will, you will give and, and, and you will pray with conviction because you have come to know the reality of our God. A couple of other things in verse 5 and we'll do them a little more briefly but the unfailing love, his unfailing love continues forever. We've talked a lot about love the love of God, and from what I can tell, it has impacted, and I'm glad. Impacts what we're talking about here. Um, but this, this little phrase, the love, his love, his unfailing love continues forever. Uh, it's not just about the fact that God is love. It's talking about the fact that his love never ceases. The love of God is immense as it is, and we've talked about that as profound and as powerful as it is. It never stops flowing into our lives. It just keeps on coming again and again and again and again. I want to tell you, my friends, if you don't now know it now, God will always love you. He'll never stop. I hope something just happened in your mind. I'm like, whoa, really? Nothing that you can do can cause God to stop loving you. Nothing that you will ever do will cause the Lord's love to cease in your life. Because God is a God of love. It's part of his being. You know, I used an illustration. I know in two services uh, in, these, in this last series that I spoke about the love of God. Uh, about Bedouins who live in the, in the Middle East, of course. They're nomadic people. And they're always um, needing more water. So water is scarce in their lives. And I, I think I told you how... People told them about a waterfall and how the waterfall just, the water keeps coming over the fall, over the cliff. And they had to see this, so they went and they just could not conceptualize where all this water comes from. And I said, think of that as the love of God. Well, this week I started thinking about Niagara Falls. And I just kind of took off on this mental trail, which I'm about to share with you. I hope it helps. But, you know, think about all the water that flows into the Great Lakes, from all the lakes and streams which surround that watershed, if you would. Uh, it's a huge amount of water. 21% of the fresh water of the world is in our Great Lakes. Isn't that remarkable? 21%, a, a full fifth of all the fresh water of the world. But how much water is there? 22,810 cubic kilometers. You know, 22,000, almost 22,000 kilometers that way and this way and that way, forming a cube, if you would. It's a massive amount of water. Think about this one, 2.3, <laughs> this is kind of silly, I'm going to do it. 2.3 liters times 10 to the 16th power. Now that's 16 zeros after the one, 2.3 times 1 dot 16 zeros. Six zeros is a million. A thousand millions is nine zeros. That's a billion. A thousand billions becomes 12. And I don't know what that number is. And then a thousand of those becomes this. It's massive. It's huge. Amount of water in the Great Lakes. If you were to take all the water in the Great Lakes and, 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 and cover over the United States south of the 49th parallel, you would have 9.5 feet of water. 
You get it? It's a ton of water, right? It's huge. The point, though, here is not so much how much water there is. That's the previous illustration. <clears throat> the point is that all of that water, or I assume most of it at least, flows from Lake Superior, Lake Michigan, Lake Huron, <clears throat> down into Lake Erie, and from Lake Erie, it goes over Niagara Falls into Lake Ontario, out the St. Lawrence system, and into the Atlantic, right? And as you stand, and probably all of us can envision Niagara Falls, that massive flow of water, you know what? It never stops. 2.3 liters times 10 to the 16th power. And it's not like all that water flows over Niagara Falls and there's nothing left. It's done. As it flows out, so water flows in and it just keeps on coming. It just flows and it flows and it flows and it never ceases. It is unfailing and it continues, if you would, forever. My friends, that's the love of God for you. For you. God will never stop loving you. His love is immense. And I want to tell you, when we can grapple not only with the reality of God's love as we have for a month or so, but then back up and say, that love will never cease in my life. Something in us ought to go, wow, that's, inc that's an incredible God. An incredible God. My friends, do you know the unfailing continuing love of God for you. If you come to know that love, you will come primed because you've encountered out there day after day after day after day and you will become, you will come here primed and ready to worship with joy, with gladness, with deep gratitude and with incredible praise. We won't be able to shut you up because you're awed by God. <clears throat> Excuse me. The third little phrase that's in here, for the Lord is good. Number two, his unfailing love continues ever. And then his faithfulness continues to each generation. His faithfulness, God's faithfulness for us continues generation after generation after generation after generation after generation after generation, after generation and on it goes. It's an incredible thing. You know, what, what the Bible says is this, this, this God is a God of faithfulness. He will never give up on us uh, even though we are unfaithful to him. And here's the kicker. Don't put up your hand. Anybody here ever unfaithful to God? Of course. <laughs> of course. See, see, what the Bible is saying to us in this place is just take a moment and focus in on the reality of God and know who he is. And you will enter his gates with thanksgiving and you will come into his courts with an incredible praise oozing out of your being so much so that you can't stay silent, so that you can't engage the game on the field. You will become a worshiper because you've encountered such a God out there. So there's an incredible little book in the Old Testament called Hosea. Um, just a little one in the, in the Minor Prophets toward the end. Uh, Hosea is a guy who, um, who falls in love with, with Gomer. And the guys, I got to tell you, if you ever meet a woman named Gomer, stay away. I mean, <laughs> if nothing else, the name should give you a bit of a clue, right? I'm thinking Gomer, Gomer Pyle. Remember Gomer Pyle? <laughs> All the old folks think you're Gomer Pyle. Google it, and you'll find out. 
But, but Hosea decides to marry Gomer, but she is an unfaithful wife, sexually. And so unfaithful that she comes to a point, ultimately, of prostituting herself. And Hosea, um, uh, you know, even though he knows what's going on, refuses to give up on Gomer. He, he re- and he refuses to be unfaithful to his, uh, to his unfaithful wife. He reaches out to her time and again, and she rebuffs him. But Hosea is this man who remains faithful regardless. Now, Hosea, in the text, represents God. Gomer represents who? Us. You know, the Israelites in in that context, the people of God in that context, who were worshiping idols and they were acting unjustly, doing all these things that broke covenant with God. They had entered into covenant relationship with God. But the whole story here is that God is this Hosea-like character. Can I put it that way? And in spite of the unfaithfulness of his people, even to a great and, and ridiculous extent, God refuses to give up on them. My friends, I want to tell you, we are the unfaithful. And there is no one in this room, including myself, who can be faithful to God all the time. There is something wired into us from the fall called sin, and we can't do it right all the time. And we will be unfaithful to God at some points, and quite frankly, often, because of who we are. But we have a God, and be be prepared for wild point number three, we have a God who will never, ever, ever give up on us. And who will be faithful to us to the end. I don't know about you, but there's, there's, there's something in me that goes like, wow, that's my God? And I want to tell you, the more you encounter that God out there, that God of faithfulness, that God who will not give up in spite of our unfaithfulness, the more you will be blown away by that God and you will enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And I don't mean a little bit of it. See, some people come here on a Sunday morning. I don't know whether this will describe anyone here or not in order to exercise their spirituality. It's a new way of saying things. They come to church in order to encounter God. And some people say, well, I come to church so that I can leave in such a fashion as you are describing, Chris. I want to come to church and you can preach and we can sing these songs, which reminds me of the truth of, of, the, of the word of God, the Bible itself. And I'm going to be so enamored with, my eyes are going to be open, I'm going to be so taken with the reality of God. I'm going to be leaving here as someone who's ready to shout for joy or, or, or worship with gladness. I'm going to be incredibly thankful and, and deeply grateful for who God is and what he has done. And I'm ready, I'm, then I'm ready to praise. And quite frankly, that in itself isn't a bad thing. Particularly, particularly at the front end of our journey with God. You are going to come here and learn things you maybe never learned before or heard before, and you are going to find praise and worship rising up in your being as you are awed by God. But that's not what this psalm says. You get this? This psalm says, you who have come to know me, so encounter me in that life you live day by day so that when you come to this thing called worship, you're ready to get on the field and play hard. You're ready to sing and to to joyfully and, and gladly praise God. You're ready to give him thanks that comes from the depth of your heart. Why? Because you've come to know who he is. And you have been awed 
by the character of the God you have come to know. My friends, when you come to know God is good, really good, you'll become a worshiper. And you won't be satisfied to watch people do it on the platform. You won't. It won't be about that anymore. It'll be about you being in the presence of your God, and you need to say, thank you, Father. Thank you. When you come to one understanding that this God's love for you, which I hope you have come to understand in new terms in recent weeks, but that you come to know that love will never stop flowing into your life, you will become a worshiper with gladness in your heart. When you come to that place, when you understand that our God is faithful even to we who are unfaithful, we who prostitute ourselves before other idols in this world, we who live unjustly and so forth, as was the case in the time of Hosea, we're gonna, we are going to become worshipers who are ready to praise him using our mouths, communicating our minds and our hearts in terms of who we think our God is. I want to tell you, you experience this God out there in the ways that this psalm calls us to, we will be players on the field. We won't be fans in the bleachers. We won't be an audience. We'll know that we are the game. And that God is the audience. And that he looks upon us and he awaits our praise and our gratitude, our adoration. He is a God who loves us so much and he is poured himself into us because of who he is and he will look at this time as a time to come together with his people so that we can all have this huge group hug with him him loving us and us loving him in return my friends what it comes to is what is your experience of God beyond these can't say four walls from any other I don't know what is your experience of God out there seek him until you find him Spend time with him until he reveals himself to you. In the good and the bad of life, turn your mind and your heart to the Lord until you discover who he really is. So that you can come to this place on a Sunday morning ready, primed, eager to worship the God who is good. Worship the God who never ceases. Worship the God who is faithful, regardless. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. We thank you together for the incredible privilege of being able to know you. And Lord, it's something that so many of us and so many other people, I suppose, would just take for granted in terms of living life with you and then coming to worship you as we do on a regular basis. But God, we thank you that we can know you. And God, we pray that you by your spirit will open our eyes to see and to understand who you are until we are blown away by the reality of the God whom we worship. Father, I pray for every single person here. I pray, including myself, I pray, Lord, that we would have our eyes opened even this week, to see your goodness. 
so much so that it will deeply impact us. Open our eyes, Lord, to remember time and again that your love for us will never fail. There's nothing that we can do that can cause that love to falter. What a God you are. And God, open our eyes to understand your faithfulness. A faithfulness which goes beyond comprehension. But Lord, as the unfaithful, we are so deeply grateful that you are the God you are. And Father, we pray that as we encounter you in this life, day by day, as we go about our business, as we uh, engage summer holidays over the, over the next couple of months, Lord, as we meet with you in scripture and in prayer, God, reveal to us your character. For in our understanding your character, Lord, we go from being the audience to being the players on the field. We go from pe being people who watch worship to being the worshipers. And this, God, is what you call us to. So, Father, do this work in us. Teach us who you are. Open our eyes to see the character of the living God so that we are awed by you, that we might then worship you in spirit and in truth from our hearts, through our minds, through our voices. Lord, to you, that you might be pleased with the offering that we bring. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. You know, when I was in high school, I received a challenge to, um, I had a 10-minute walk to school every day. Someone challenged me the entire walk to thank God. And I remember specifically that first day I had, a, it, it was kind of hard. And the next day it got easier, and the next day it got easier. And it became a really